Well, we are in, if you can imagine, the eighth week of the prophets. Did you think you could make it through eight weeks of the minor prophets? Um, we've gone through a lot, haven't we? I mean, think about who we've talked about. We've talked about Malachi, who was telling us, uh, you know, telling the people, stop making excuses for all your bad behavior, for not doing what you're meant to do. We talked about Jonah, who was running away from God because he knew that God was going to show mercy to his enemies, and he didn't want him to do that. So he was a prophet who ran away from God. Remember, we talked about Joel, the plague of locusts, and how we learned in Joel to lament, repent, and then receive. Lament, repent, and then receive. We, thought, we talked about Hosea who had such a strange marriage, marrying this woman he knew who would be unfaithful to him as an example, as a sign of how God felt when the people of Israel were unfaithful to him. And of course, Micah, who taught us about how to um, love, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And last week, you got to hear from Dave Tackle and Zephaniah, um, a a prophet who spoke so harshly and yet sparked a revival as a result, Um, and God did a work among his people. So we have two more to go. We have Habakkuk today and Haggai next week. Who would have thought there'd be such practical help in these Old Testament books, right? Um, have, we been, have we been hearing from God? Have he been speaking to us? But how we might at some point be getting off track. The point of this message and this series has been that they're, they're being called, that they're off track. The people of Israel are getting off track with God, and only God can get you back on track, right? A train can get off track on its own easily, but it can't get back on without a lot of help. And so he's calling us to ask ourselves, are we on track with God? Are we on track? I hope it's been showing you a little bit about how to stay on track with him, that we do it by trusting in Jesus, that he is the one that keeps us on track. All of the prophets point to Jesus. Even though they are in a setting where they don't know that Jesus is coming, we know. We get to see the end of the story, and we know they're pointing to our need for Jesus. So we're going to talk today about Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a different kind of prophet. Um, It's kind of an interesting book because we are not going to hear Habakkuk tell everybody what they're doing wrong, okay? He's not going to be prophesying over the people. Actually, what we get in Habakkuk is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. It's like we're getting to eavesdrop on his quiet time. (laughs) his time with God. He are, is going to be talking to him um, about what's going on. There's a, it's like a private audience. He's being very honest with God, and we get to hear God's response. And in Habakkuk, it's like a dialogue going back and forth, all right? So it's kind of a fun book to read because you're getting an insight into the mind of the prophet and also the mind of God, all right? So we're going to jump right in to this dialogue. It starts with Habakkuk complaining, which is why I like Habakkuk, because I understand him, right? I Anybody here ever started your prayers with complaining? Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Uh, Maybe you have a few things that you complain about. And so this is what Habakkuk does. And one good thing about this book is that um, it shows that God doesn't mind hearing our complaints. Now, actually, I'm going to backtrack for a second. We have one last thing we have to establish here is how do we pronounce this book? So, yeah, because I've been saying Habakkuk with the emphasis on the hab, but I know some of you say Habakkuk with the emphasis on the second. And then other people emphasize the third, Habakkuk. So we're going to take a vote. (laughs) How many people think it should be Habakkuk with the first emphasis on the first syllable? Raise your hand if you think that's what it is. Oh, not too many. A few. Okay, okay. More of you coming up as you're going up. Okay. How about who who thinks it's Habakkuk? (gasps) Wow. Maybe this is a southern thing. (laughs) 
It's a southern accent. Wow. How many people think it's Habakkuk? Nobody. Well, I got news for you. The Hebrew pronunciation of the word is the third one, Habakkuk. It actually, actually the, v, the B becomes a V, so it's Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. That's actually the Hebrew way. Now, I can't remember that. I don't know. I will never be able to t- say that. But if you were speaking Hebrew, that's how you would say it. The first two, I got to tell you, I spent a long time online researching this to see which one was right. And actually, way more than I really needed to. Um, both are actually correct, Habakkuk and Habakkuk. Um, one might be the British way and one might be the American way, but I couldn't even get clear which one was which because one thing said that the first way was the British way and the other one said the... So um, it, basically you can say it however you want. Um, and all of you guys want me to say Habakkuk. Okay, I'm going to try. But I've always said Habakkuk. So um, don't get distracted by that, but um, just know that it's right either way. Okay, that's the good news about this. So we are going to now go into Habakkuk. I'm going to see if I can retrain myself um, to say Habakkuk. And so here we go. We're going to start with Habakkuk's complaint. I can't say it. That is really hard. It does not come out at all. Okay, I'm going to try. We're going to start at the beginning. And this is, again, a dialogue between God and the prophet. And so we're going to start with Habakkuk's complaint. And here's what he says in Habakkuk 1, 2 to 4. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Anybody ever ask God, why are you not listening to me? Why cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So he's complaining about the state of his nation. It is not doing well. He's talking about Judah, the southern kingdom. If you remember, the Assyria has already taken over the northern kingdom. So we're now in the southern kingdom. And they're supposed to be the good kingdom. And yet this was written during the time of King Jehoiakim, which was a time of injustice and bloodshed. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings about this king, Jehoiakim, it says that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. Not a good king. Other passages said he did abominations in the sight of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is if you go to this timeline, he's a contemporary of Jeremiah. Um, So you see, we're right at the end. There's Habakkuk right there and Jeremiah, the right before Babylon comes in and conquers southern kingdom. So it's really kind of at the end. This is the last gasps. It's the same time, Habakkuk's speaking at the same time as Jeremiah. And so there's a fascinating story in Jeremiah 36, which gives you an insight into what's happening, okay? So I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, If you read Jeremiah 36, it's it's great. It makes a great movie um, because it starts with Jeremiah getting a word from the Lord, and he writes the prophecy down on the scroll. And it's your basic stuff. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're off track, get back on track. You're, uh, he doesn't like what the king is doing. He doesn't like what the people are doing. They're not, they're not being just. They're, not, they're shedding innocent blood, all of this. And so he puts it all in the scroll as a prophecy, and it gets read. He gives it to his um, scribe, Baruch, who then stands up and reads it in the temple. And as he's reading it, the people are cut to the heart, and they repent, and so they call a fast. So it's a real word from the Lord that was very effective. But this is where the Hollywood scene comes in, okay? So he's read this thing in the temple, and somebody in the crowd hears it, and he's from the palace. See, we have the temple, that's the priesthood, that's the religious place, but then you also have the palace, which is where the king is and all his officials. And so somebody from the palace who happened to be in the temple hears the scroll being read, runs over to the palace, and says, you guys got to hear this. 
And so he tells the officials, you got to hear the scroll. And so one of the officials, a secretary of the a royal official, not the king yet, calls on poor Baruch, the scribe, says, come over here and tell us this, read us the scroll. So Baruch comes over. He tells him the scroll. How it's going to go badly with you, and Babylon's going to conquer you, and, and it's because of all the bad things you've done, and so on and so forth. And it's so interesting to, to look at what the officials, these are all the royal officials of the king, said. They go, they're greatly alarmed, and they looked at one another in fear, and they kept asking him, is this really from Jeremiah? They're worried. They're like, the king ain't going to like this. He's not a nice guy, and he's not going to like this. And so they know they have to tell the king, so they say, can we take the scroll? Because if we bring the two of you in there, you're dead. So you guys run off, Baruch and Jeremiah. They let them go high, but they bring the scroll, and they bring it over to the king. Okay, so now, you have, now you're in the palace, you're with the king, he's sitting on his chair, and he's got like a, a fire going, and all the officials around him, and they start to read him the scroll. And he has a reaction but not the reaction you'd think. He doesn't get mad and start storming and raging. He doesn't, you know, get convicted and repent. That'd been nice, but he didn't do that. He didn't even ask any questions. Here's what he did. He's sitting there. He's, they're reading the scroll. And remember, it's, a piece of, it's like a paper scroll. As he reads the first top two lines of the scroll, the king rips off the top of the scroll and throws it in the fire. That's what I think of your prophecy, Jeremiah. I'm just throwing it in the fire. And then the guy reads the next couple lines, and he rips that off and throws that in the fire too. And, this, and it says in the scripture, it says that the officials are begging him, please don't dig, burn up the word of the Lord. Like, that's not a good thing to do. And yet he burns up the whole scroll. And it says at the end, the text makes a point of saying, the king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. So it's just a great drama, right? I mean, it's this moment where he's just completely disregarding the word of the Lord. He doesn't care. Um, and this is, the, this is at the highest level of government. This is the world in which Habakkuk is living. And this is what he's complaining about. He says, we're off track. God, he's jealous for God's glory. God, they're not respecting you or your word. God, you've got to do something, Lord. This is your country. These are your people. Do something. And now God answers. Remember, this is a dialogue, right? So we're going to go back and forth. So we just got the complaint from Jeremiah, now, or from, from Habakkuk, and now we're going to get the response from God. And this response goes under the heading of, don't ask a question that you don't really want the answer to. Have you ever asked a question that you actually afterwards realized you didn't really want the answer? A good example of this is you think you want to know, you ask your kid, your grown child, what did you do in high school that you never told us that you were doing? And you think you want the answer to that question? You really don't. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. You really don't know. So that's, that's the example. So, so here's what happens. He gets an answer from God that is not the answer he wants. This is what God says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps, and they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. God's basically saying, I agree with you. Judah's bad, so 
they're going to get wiped out. I'm sending the Babylonians. I'm raising up this foreign nation to come and just wipe them out. And I think at this point, you know, Habakkuk's saying, never mind. <laughs> Forget I said anything. Forget I was complaining. This was not what I had in mind. I wanted you to fix my country, not let them get destroyed. But it's interesting because this is God's perspective. See, he's, he's, his perspective is bigger. He's saying this country may have to go. They are not following my ways. And I'm going to use even another country to teach them this lesson. Countries may come and go, but I'm doing things on a world scale. I've got a worldview that's bigger than just Jerusalem and Judah. I'm looking at the whole world. I want to save every nation. And so I'm paving the way for my son Jesus to come. You don't know that. You don't know what you don't know. But I'm, I'm doing something bigger than what's right here. And so this is what God's going to do. God allows this to happen. And so now we get Habakkuk's reply, right? Again, this is a conversation. So now it tosses back to Habakkuk. He's mad. He's not happy about this. And so this is what he says, Habakkuk 1, 12 to 13. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why would you use this evil nation? Yes, we're evil, but we're a little bit less evil, right? So, so you know, why use this more evil nation to punish the little less evil nation? Why would you do that, God? Why? And he brings his protest to God, and he's saying, do you know how much suffering is going to come from this, God? Do you know how much loss of life, how much pain? God, how... How can you remain silent in the midst of all that? And I just wonder how many times we've offered that complaint to God. How can you remain silent in the midst of everything going on? Ever prayed a prayer and just gotten crickets back? You're like, this is an important prayer, God. How come you're silent? How long will this go on? How long, O oh Lord? We have... This is true of life today in our world, right? We're all looking, you know, reading the news, listening to the radio, listening to the TV about a war going on in the Mideast. That is horrific. Thousands of people dying, innocent people, Israelis and Palestinians. It's a horrible thing, Hogan. It's very complex, but so much suffering on all sides. How long, oh Lord? How long? And not only that, but of course, you know, we've almost forgotten about the U Ukraine, right? Because the Mideast kind of <laughs> eclipsed it all. But the Ukraine's still going into a second war. How long, oh Lord? How long? How, the second year of war. How long? In our own country, we have so much that we suffer through still. We're still fighting against, against scourges of racism and misogyny. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. It should be going down. It's on the rise in our country. And of course, there's gun violence and immorality and polarization. How long, oh God? How long? How long? And then maybe in your own life you've asked how long. There's been abuse and suffering and struggle, financial struggle, relationship struggle, struggle with your children, struggle with your parents. How long, God? How long? And why do you sometimes seem silent? I don't want us to move on too quickly from this thought. This is what lament is. It's bringing to God our true feelings and our true anguish, our true questions. Why, Lord? Why? Why? And, I, you know, there's not a person in this room who hasn't asked the question to God, why? 
Not a person in this room. If you say you haven't, I'm thinking you're lying. <laughs> because every one of us at some point has said, why, God? Why? It's an age-old question. It's the universal complaint of man. And listen, I'm not going to solve that theological and philosophical question for you in a 30-minute, 20-minute sermon. But I want you to listen to Habakkuk. I want us to listen and learn from him how he came to peace in the midst of a very dramatic and terrible situation. His own country was about to be annihilated. And here's how he came to peace. Here's how he came to peace. He's anguished, he's upset, he knows it's going to happen. I want to talk for a second about his reaction and how does he react? Does he get off track in the way he reacts to God's seemingly silence on this topic? And the first thing he does is he brings his complaint to God. This is a good thing. This is a lesson for us. He brings them right to God. He complains. He, one of the ways we can get off track is when we bring our complaints to everyone else but God. Does anybody do that? Talk to everybody else, post it on Facebook, do all the things. Instead of just get on our knees and complain to him. He can take it. He can take it. There's always a choice in our hardship, in our questioning, to either run away from God or run toward him. And even if we're complaining, at least we're running toward him. So run toward him. Guns blazing if you have to with all your anger, all your, all your complaint, but run toward him. The second thing that Habakkuk does is that he's honest with God. He doesn't hold back. He demands. He asks God, what are you thinking? Why do you tolerate this? What are you doing? Um, remember, we're listening, we're listening and, and I hope that it, you know, it's, it's resonant for you. It kind of sounds like David, doesn't it? David in the Psalms, when he talks to God, he says, why, why, are you, you know, why are you rejecting me? Why are you doing this, God? Why don't you listen? He's in good company here with Moses, with Jacob, with, with David, with Job. All these men of God in our scriptures show us that you can complain to God and be honest with him. I want to ask you a question. Who do you complain the most to in life? Who hears your complaints the most? Your, your husband or wife, probably, right? Your spouse or your best friend? Why is that? Because you trust them. Because you're close to them. You know they're going to love you no matter what. I want you to know that God is like that. You can trust him. And the closer we get to him, the more honest we're going to be able to get with him in our hearts. Amen. So here we have Habakkuk. He does a third thing. He's a, so he's honest with God. He brings his complaints to God. But the third thing is he does, he makes a choice. There's a fork in the road. It's like the track is splitting in front of him. And there's a point in our complaining where we can get off track. Okay? When we assume we have to have all the answers. When we're, we're complaining to God, but he must answer this way. That's when we get off track. When we decide that we're not going to be satisfied with any answer God gives. It doesn't matter what answer he gave, we wouldn't be satisfied with it because we want it our way. That's when we get off track. And so Habakkuk is at this moment of choice. And Habakkuk 2.1 is probably the most important verse in all of this book. And it's the turning point. It's where his decision is made. He's brought all his complaints. He's heard God. He's complained some more. And then there's this turning point. What's he going to do? Is he going to turn toward God? Is he going to turn away? And he makes this choice to trust God in the midst of everything that's going on. He puts his questions and desires at the feet of God. Let me read to you from Habakkuk 2.1. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts 
I will look or wait to see what he will say to me and what to answer when I'm rebuked. You read that again. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look and wait to see what he, what God will say and what to answer when I'm rebuked. I love that at the moment of unknowing, Habakkuk chooses this waiting, watchful, patient, trusting faith. This is what he says. He says, I'm going to wait for your answer. I'm going to keep watch. I don't know how long it's going to take for you to answer me, God, but I'm going to wait until you answer. What a nice, what a good posture. So I'm going to wait. I will wait on you. I'm not going to judge ahead of time. I'm going to wait and see what you say. And then he says, I'm going to listen to what you say, to what God says, that I want to hear from you about this. I've told you what I think, but I'm going to hear from you. I was at a retreat once, and I was reading a little devotional book, and it had a statement, and it said, um, what God has to say is more important than anything I have to say. What God has to say is more important than anything I have to say. And I got to tell you, it caught me up short because I got a lot to say. <laughs> and I think it's important. And so um, it kind of caught me up short. And it doesn't mean, of course, that the things I say or the things you say are not important and meaningful. And God wants to hear from all of us. But how many of us know that God's word is still the best word? It's still the wisest word. It's the last word. So we say our peace, but we listen for his word into our life. Amen. So deep here. And then finally he says, I'll respond positively to your correction. I'm going to listen for his rebuke. He expects that he might have gotten something wrong. In all his complaining, he expects, tell me what I'm, what I'm doing wrong here, God, and I'm going to listen. I want to know. I'm willing to be corrected. In all his feelings, in all his words, there's something that he might just not be understanding and he needs. He's willing to be corrected. I think that's just... His, his relationship with God is so intimate and respectful. I just think it's beautiful. Um, it's like he's saying this. I'm willing to be shown I'm wrong. I accept I might never truly understand that your ways are higher than my ways. And furthermore, he's saying, I will assume that this must all make sense to you even though it doesn't make sense to me. Can we say that to God? It must make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me, God. I'm not happy about it. And I, don't, I can't believe this is how it's all working out. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to assume it makes sense to you. Why? Because you're in control of all things. Because you're in control of all things. And so I know you're good, and I know you love me, and so my faith is not in my own reasoning, but in you. Is that not a prayer that we could all pray? We all assume our own reasoning is perfect, don't we? I mean, if it doesn't make sense to me, it must not make any sense. We have, a, we have an expression in my family, <laughs> which is, and this is me saying this, that, you know, if you don't agree with me, you don't make a bit of sense. See, I make complete sense, and if you don't agree with me, you don't make a bit of sense. So that's, you know, when Paul and I get in an argument, he doesn't make a bit of sense. I mean, that's just the way it goes, because um, I make complete sense, right? This is how we all think, though, really. We think that we really make complete sense. But think of this. We're like a child before God. And if you have a child sitting here, we get one of those little kids, they don't understand why you can't eat a whole bag of candy before dinner. Like, they don't understand that. Like, the bag is right there. It's really good tasting. I want it. Nobody else is eating it. Like, why can't I eat the whole bag of candy before dinner? Like, it doesn't make any sense to their little minds, right? And we as adults know about health and 
sugar highs and how you won't be able to sleep and how you won't be able to eat and you won't be healthy. We know all that. They don't know that. They don't know what they don't know. Does that make sense? And this is how we are to God. We don't know what we don't know. And so how can we approach God, even in our pain, even in the hardships, even in the things we don't understand, and say to him, God, you know, explain yourself. If you don't fix this the way I want you to fix it, then you're not worth following. How can we say that to the God who, whose reasoning is so far above ours? He's spoken the world into being. He knows exactly where he's taken this world and where your life's going to end up. He knows you. And instead, he just looks on you and he says, my child, I love you. And you just don't know what you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. So wisdom is trusting God. And his love, do you remember he loves you so much? And he's got things in, in hand. So now God's reply, and I love this, he says, write this down. Like, okay, we've been talking, but now write this down. This is important, he says. Habakkuk 2, 2-4. to four. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. People of God, I don't know what your issue right now is with God where you are struggling with his silence, where you are struggling with him not answering, but I want you to know that the answer will be there. Just wait for it. Wait for it, he says. God is going to come through. He's going to bring justice where there's injustice. He's going to bring relief where there has been suffering. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. We don't know when, but wait for it. Wait for it. And I know it's slow. (laughs) I know it seems slow sometimes. seems like a lifetime. But we can apply this to our own life. Wait for it. How do we wait? It says the righteous will live by what? Faith. That verse, by the way, from Habakkuk is one of the more popular ones. It's quoted three or four times in the New Testament in places like Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. And what it means is that we have such faith in Jesus, in our salvation in him, in our cleansing from him, in our new life in him for this life, and even our new life to come, that we can know only that. Just if that's all I know, that's enough. Even if I don't get anything else. I don't even know anything else. Even if everything else is cloudy, even if everything else is unclear, even if everything else is difficult and painful and I'm slogging through mud, it doesn't matter. I know that I know that I know that Jesus loves me. And he died for me. That's all I got to know. That's all I got to know. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We do not see how he's going to resolve all these big issues in our world, all these big issues in our country, or even all the issues in our own little lives. We don't know. But God knows. God sees. Hallelujah. 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 Not by sight. Even... When we can't see it, he's working. Even when we can't feel it, he's working. You know we have to sing that. Even if I can't see it, you're working. 
Even if I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Say it again, I, I, I can't. Even if I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Hallelujah. He never stops. He's always working, even when we can't see him. So now what's beautiful is that we come to the end of Habakkuk and that when he made the choice to trust God, to say, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'm trusting you, God. I'm putting my faith in you. Then that's when the peace comes. And, um, you know, I got thinking about this, that people are always asking me to pray for them to have peace, you know, help me to have peace over this situation or that situation. And I pray, I do, I will pray for peace for people. But sometimes I think, I don't want to pray for peace. I want to pray that you'll trust God. Because it's when you trust God, then you get peace. That's how you get it. Pray first you trust God. So listen to Habakkuk. He has a breakthrough of faith and peace and trust. First of all, he says in Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. So he starts out by just praising him, saying, you're right, you're, you're Lord. And in the wrath, which is coming, remember mercy. Lord, we still ask. Even as we are trusting God, we're still asking for the thing we hope for, right? The, for, for, for peace and for good things. But then he closes with this, and this is the most beautiful section in some ways in all of scripture it says this in Habakkuk 3 17 and 19 though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls what word yet yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. If everything falls apart, God, if it all just goes to hell in a handbasket and I can't do anything about it, God, I still trust in you, yet I will rejoice in you because you are still my God. You are still worthy of praise. You are still trustworthy, and you love me, and I know that. Lisa Turkhurst was a Christian author, is a Christian author and speaker, and she tells a story about when her six-week-old daughter had a very sudden um, and life-threatening allergic reaction. And so they rushed her to the hospital, and the doctors trying to fix things up and couldn't do it. They had, she had to go into surgery, and the doctor pulled she and her husband aside and said, I don't expect her to make it through the surgery. And so he said, you better go say goodbye to your baby girl. And so Lisa and her husband went in and did the unimaginable, right? Saying goodbye to their baby girl, their six-week-old girl. And then they left that room and they went out into the hospital parking lot, sobbing, you know, terrified at what they were going through. And, And in the midst of that, her husband took her face in his hands. And he said, "Um, Lisa, we have to get it settled in our hearts right now that we're going to love God no matter what happens in that surgery to Ashley. Now, I don't know if some of you have ever been in that moment where you didn't know what was going to happen, and you're going to have to say, whatever happens, will I still love Jesus? Is he still my Lord? And she said it was the hardest thing, of course, ever for her to do. But she knew it was right. And so in that moment, the two of them, through their tears, 
release their baby daughter into God's hands. And she said, the fear just went away. She wasn't happy. She still didn't know what was going to happen. She still, but she said that the, the, the kind of a supernatural peace just flooded over them both. Because they had said, we're going to just trust you, God, no matter how this works out. Now, the good news is her babies, their baby survived. But their faith was forever changed. Because no matter what you face, no matter what we're going through, we can say, God, yet I will rejoice. It doesn't nullify the, the, the feelings of sadness. It doesn't mean we don't tell him all the sadness, all the fear, all the anger. We still are so, op- like Habakkuk, open with our, our thoughts before God. We're honest with him. And yet at the end we say, yet I will rejoice in you, God. I will trust you. God, I want this thing to be healed in me, but I trust you. Yet I will rejoice in you. I want this relationship to be worked out, God. I really want it to come through, but yet I will rejoice in you. Lord, I want this situation to be resolved. I want the money to come in. I want the the food to come, whatever it is, but yet I will rejoice in you. Yet I will rejoice. And I think that's a word for some of us today, that whatever you're going through, yet I will rejoice. Thank you, Let's have the band come up. Let's pray for a moment. Let's close our eyes. And I want us to just bring before God, like Habakkuk, our honest feelings, our honest thoughts, the thing that we have maybe already given to him many times. We've complained to him many times. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Why are you silent, God? And let us remember that God is right here in the midst of it with us and that we can say yet, even if it doesn't ever resolve, Lord, even if it all stays kind of a mess, yet I will rejoice in you. I will trust you. I will trust you. while we were playing this last song, you have an opportunity to come up and be prayed for. And I just encourage you, if that's you today, you've just been struggling with something with God and you want to be able to just say, yes, I I trust you, God. Yes, I will. I'm going to lift your name. I'm going to praise you, Lord. You may need help with that. We have prayer teams in the back, one in the back and one in the front here. Come on up and get prayer. Feel free to come up and worship here at the stage give yourself to him, Lord, whatever may come. This is where the peace comes when we trust God in everything. I want to just take a real quick moment to uh, give God some praise and glory and, um, and everything that, that the pastor's been talking about. I've just witnessed in my life 
Um, as many of you know, I came out here to, to do a business, and the business, the reason for the business was because I wanted to open up a school of worship uh, for children. That's what I was doing in Atlanta, or working on Atlanta. But I tried to come out here and um, do things my own way and try to help God out. And so what I, but what the result was, financially, and you know, I know everybody's on different level financially, and if you're struggling, these sounds like big numbers. But I came out here thinking, you know, I'm going to help God out and get this get this school going. But instead, I lost a hundred thousand dollars and um, all my hard work and labor. But we chose to trust the Lord. We chose to keep because we knew in our heart of hearts that God brought us out here for a reason. And I may have lost my my money. But I've regained my, my heart, my soul. I was living in the flesh, uh, ordained pastor, and my mind was carnal all the time. And I came out here, and my mind and my life has been transformed from being with y'all and under the teaching of this good pastor and this great staff. And um, so I'm trying to keep it brief, I just want <laughs> So I find out we're going to China for a mission trip because my mother-in-law's there and we have to help her. So I just find out the other day that guess what? We got an inheritance from when dad passed. And so there's $100,000 waiting for me in China. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, we just know that you are the miracle worker, Lord. You, you work things out that we can't see. And so if you're waiting for the answer, wait for it. Wait for it.